Hey brothers and sisters, it's Delvin again of Gospel of Repentance Ministries. Remember the theme, remember the verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Praise God once again for another opportunity to share with you my heart in regards to God's holy word, which will never uh, pass away and never fade. As a matter of fact, Jesus the Christ said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, he said this, an incredible statement it said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And his words are recorded and codified in the book that we call the Bible. So what I want to do in this episode is speak to you in regards to what I will call perhaps the fairness of God, the fairness of God. And the area that I want to talk about in particular is the atonement. Now, I talked about the atonement last year when I was reviewing what is commonly called the five points of Calvinism. And one of the um, points in the uh, Calvinism acrostic is limited atonement. And that, of course, is the greatest uh, matter of divide between those who are Calvinists who may regard themselves as Calvinistic or those who are outside the Calvinistic camp that will like to label people who uh, espouse the five points of Calvinism as Calvinist. At any rate, I want to look at it from a different viewpoint and I want to see if we can come to perhaps a resolution in regards to it. And this is what I want to focus on. Okay, so when we talk about limited atonement, where what generally what that means is that the atonement is limited in its extent, but it is unlimited in its power. Like I said, I talked about this last year and in regards to this, but when we talk about the atonement being limited from the human perspective, from the human mind and from the human heart, that automatically makes God in the human mind as an unfair uh, being because what we are saying by the atonement being limited is that God has limited uh, in extent to those whom the atonement will be effective for. In other words, the Bible says that Jesus came and died for his people in Matthew 1 uh, verse 21 when the angel came to Joseph the husband of Mary said you know do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for that which is uh, conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit you shall call his name Jesus when he's born for he shall save his people listen to that uh, phrase his people from their sins once again that's Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 and Jesus said that all that the father gives me will come to me and those who come to me I will no wise cast out so it is clear and evident that 
there is a chosen, there is an elect people that God has given to the Son. Now, it's a mystery to us to whom that is because God decided to do that before time began. And all you have to do to, to validate what I'm saying in regards to divine election and when it occurred is go to Ephesians chapter 1. It says that uh, before the foundation of the world, God chose some to be recipients of his saving grace, which means obviously if he chose some, he didn't choose all. And once again, the human cry in regards to that from a human perspective is, why would God do that? Why would he choose some and not all? And so automatically someone is going to say, that's not fair. Why would God do that? And and the reply that I always would give to someone that perhaps would ask that question, why would God choose some and not all? The better question that we should be asking is why does God choose any? Because none of us are worthy of his saving grace and none of us are worthy of his choosing. You follow what I'm saying? See, we're asking the wrong question and we and we are thinking about ourselves more highly than we should. God is not obligated and he's not compelled by man to do anything. God does not have to be kind to us. God does not have to be merciful to us. God does not have to be gracious to us. And see, when you don't understand the the incalculable divide between the holiness of God versus the wretchedness of man, when you don't understand that, that we're totally rotten to the core and that God is totally holy and righteous and pure and perfect to the core, we don't understand that incalculable uh, divide and that dynamic, then we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to and we don't think of God highly enough. You follow what I'm saying? And so oftentimes what happens is that man, without knowing it, without knowing it, excuse me, he, he deifies himself and he wants to humanize God. And that's why a lot of people turn their backs on God. They curse God. They defame God. They mock him because they feel that the gospel message, particularly in this area of atonement, is way too narrow. That they feel that somehow that God is obligated to do something for them because they're good people, quote unquote. They are worthy of God's grace. They're worthy of his mercy. So if we can um, box God in, so to speak, into thinking that he owes us something, then God is indebted to us. It's like we have extended to God some type of credit and that now God is now obligated to pay us what is due to us. And that is a twisted way of thinking. So anyway, I'm hoping that I'm not going too much on a rabbit trail here, but the limited atonement is actually not a monstru monstrous doctrine as some have claimed it is. It is not an unfair doctrine. It is not an unloving doctrine. It is rather loving because we are unlovable people in our natural sinful state, ladies and gentlemen. We, you need to get that through your, your head. You need to get that through your thinking and through your heart that we are unworthy in every way possible of God's grace. So, so God 
choosing some to be recipients of his saving grace is a very loving and an undeserved act on his part. Matter of fact, God's mercy and his grace transcends the mind. So if God has decided in eternity past, and he has, to choose some to be recipients of his saving grace and has decided to leave others in their depravity, and that's his choice, and I don't understand everything God does, but I'm glad that he uh, that it that it pleased him to save me not because of me but in spite of me because of him that's why I'm in the kingdom of God and anybody that's genuinely in God's kingdom that is saved that has inherited and is a beneficiary of eternal life is because of God did it not because of us we're not worthy so God has to give us give to us what we don't deserve and that is that is what we call grace it's unmerited favor and he doesn't give to us what we do deserve that's mercy we deserve judgment we deserve hell we deserve damnation we deserve eternal destruction but God withholds that from us because of the blood of Jesus Christ when we decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross taking our place being our vicar, so to speak, our you know our vicarious sacrifice, our substitute, our intercessor, our mediator. Then, when we believed, God now can extend His grace, and He can um, gush out His mercy on us because we have accepted what Jesus Christ did. I mean, Jesus Christ became our sin bearer, so the punishment that we deserved was placed upon the back of Jesus Christ remember what the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him praise God hallelujah for that so we need to understand that God exercising his his unprovoked and his uh, unbiased will to save some is not an unloving act rather it is a super natural loving act that transcends the mind and so if God has decided in eternity past that he's going to choose some to be recipients of his saving grace and and give them the kingdom that is his right and if he has decided in eternity past uh, that he's going to allow others to go the path that they decide for themselves then God is absolutely just in doing that as well so as a reminder and understand this as a reminder some receive grace others receive justice from God but no one and absolutely no one is a recipient of injustice from God God never uh, mistreats any of his uh, creation and, and when I say creation in particular uh, mankind no one is ever a recipient of injustice from God. For someone to say that God is unjust is someone who is blind and who is a, a fool because they, they don't know what they're talking about. God is never unjust. Now, let me flip the script a little bit and in regards to this whole limited atonement idea. Now, if you're of the persuasion and if you're the idea that God's uh, atonement is unlimited, in other words, that Jesus Christ when he came and he died he shed his blood for the sins of all mankind for all time 
this is the dilemma that you run into this is the this is where things get sticky and this is where this is the kind of the problem that I have because if he did that if God sent the son to die for the sins of the entire world in other words no one is left out then that means that everybody should be saved you follow what I'm saying that means every individual would be saved and it means that there would be no hell now we of course we of course know that's not true there are many people matter of fact there are more people going to hell that are going to heaven how do I know that because the way to hell is a uh, broad road and the way to heaven is a narrow road and the Bible clearly uh, declares that so there are more people entering into hell than there are people that are entering into heaven and, there, and there's an innumerable amount of people that are entering into heaven and so there's an innumerable amount of people but more so that are entering into uh, eternal destruction so back to my point if Jesus Christ died for every single solitary person who ever lived we run into some problems here's the first problem that we run into we run into uh, problem number one is this is that God sent the son to die for people that he knew that would never believe he knew that would never come to saving faith he knew they would never repent and so Jesus in essence died for them for nothing for nothing because they were never going to change they were never going to repent they were never going to be contrite and so he perished for them for nothing so all the atonement did for them if you believe in, in the limit, unlimited atonement view is that it was it, to me it, it was a sentimental gesture it was a virtual atonement it was um, not actual not definite not particular and it was ineffective because it did nothing for them because so if a person says that Jesus Christ died for their sins but then they perish in hell then how how effective was the atonement for that person it was ineffective because it didn't do anything for them they still perished they're still languishing they're still uh, they're still weeping and gnashing of teeth for them what about the people that died in sin before Jesus Christ even came to the earth as a man what I mean what 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 good was the atonement for them they were already perishing they were already in in um in hell they were already in torment Jesus Christ didn't die and then his soul went and preached to those who were already perishing in their sins there's no biblical basis for that so that that lie that that's a that's that's a big problem that's that's the problem that I wanted to express for those that believe in an unlimited atonement view you have to you have to believe that Jesus Christ died for some people for no reason at all I mean that he died for them but it would but the atonement for them was ineffective but for those who believe in a in an unlimited atonement view and because God chose some before the foundation of the world I know it's a hard doctrine a hard doctrine to accept it rubs us the wrong way it offends us it it offends our sense of ethics it, it's I mean from a human point of view it seems unfair that God would do this but he did do this now some of you are listening to this and probably you're in total disagreement with me and that's fine we can agree to disagree but I have a hard time accepting this is me I have a hard time accepting the fact that Jesus Christ died for the sins of those who will perish in hell 
because all he did is he made it possible for them to come to saving faith but but understand this remember God has all knowledge he's omniscient which means he has all knowledge he knows what we are going to do before we do it matter of fact he knows what we're going to think before we think it because there's no knowledge that is hidden from him so to me just from a logical point of view it makes no sense for God the Father to send the Son to die for those who would never believe now I understand once again that it is this is a hard doctrine to accept it it's offensive it rubs us the wrong way it's painful to hear and it's painful to endure I get that I understand that when I first heard a message about the atonement it offended me too some perhaps some 10 years ago it bothered me I had to keep listening to the message over and over and over and over again until it sunk into my spirit and I understood it but at first when I first heard it I'm like ah, this can't be true I don't I don't like this doctrine it bothers me it rubs me the wrong way why would God save some and pass by others that once again as I said earlier in the podcast we're asking the wrong question why would God save any because none deserve to be saved right I mean if you agree with that then that's the biblical view if you disagree with that then that's an unbiblical view because none deserve to be saved God could have decided to just let everybody be miserable and destroy everybody and start all over with a whole new uh, race of people that was within his right to do when Adam sinned he could have just said okay I'm wiping out everybody after Adam sinned or after the uh, after the flood he destroyed mostly everybody except for eight souls but he could have destroyed them too and started just brand new with a whole new race of people but God spared eight souls and from those eight souls came forth a in essence a new human race but God is you have to remember God is absolutely sovereign which means that he has absolute rule to do whatever he wants to do with his creation if he wants to um, destroy his creation he can do that if he wants to um, populate his creation as much as the sand of the sea he can do that if he wants to save some he can do that if he wants to allow others to perish he can do that and that is what he has decided to do you have to remember no man is innocent in the sight of God all of us are guilty before God and so but because God so loved the world remember what John 3 16 says that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that's the condition we have to believe and most people will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul so they will perish in their sins and be lost forever and that's their own fault that's not God's fault it's not God's fault now it is a mystery to me admittedly that why um, God has chosen whom he's chosen and not chosen others I mean why he did it I understand why he did it because God is uh, super loving whom he chose is a mystery that's a forever mystery why he chose Israelites as opposed to the Egyptians or the Philistines or the Moabites the the Israelites were no better than any other nation they were just as wicked or more wicked than uh, of the uh, the the nations of antiquity way back in the 
in the Old Testament days and in, in the Old Testament Bible days. They were very wicked. They were idolatrous. They were um, they committed orgies. They um, they passed their children through the fire uh, to 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 false gods. They they did despicable, horrible things. Yet God chose them as His own uh, people, the apple of His eye. Why did He do that? Because God wanted to, and He had made a covenant with one man, Abraham, way back in the book of Genesis, and from. Abraham sprang forth the Hebrew race that exists to this very day. So God could have chosen, chosen any nation to be uh, his own uh, personal uh, possession, but he chose the children of Israel. Not because they were more numerous than anybody or more attractive than anybody or looked better than anybody or had more money or had better religious practices or had better clothing. God chose them because he chose to love them. And those whom God has uh, cho chosen to love are those whom he, whom he has um, decided will be recipients of his uh, eternal kingdom. And those whom he has decided to pass by are those who will not be a part of his kingdom. Now, here's another um, issue that is uh, what I would call a, a, an elephant in the room. We know that there's a doctrine of election. The Bible talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1. In other words, and that's the whole thing about God choosing uh, some to be recipients of his saving grace. Now, there are those that believe in a doctrine of election, but they also believe that those who are um, non-elect, in other words, those whom God has not chosen, can also believe and be saved. You follow what I'm saying? Let me say it again. There is a chosen uh, race of people that God has decided to love upon to the extent that he will guarantee their salvation. He will guarantee their salvation. And there are those whom God has not chosen, but if they choose to believe, they will be saved too. Now here's the problem that I have with that, with that idea. If God, if the non-elect are, um, getting into the kingdom just like the elect then what's the point of having a non-elect then the non-elect actually become elect I hope this doesn't sound like double talk so once again you have those whom God has chosen God is going to guarantee their salvation at the precise moment in time and in space that he determines so whoever is chosen there are people out there that are, that are chosen that don't know it right now they are gonna be in the kingdom of God but they don't know it they are currently uh, out of the kingdom they're not in a state of grace yet but God has chosen them and at the precise moment in time that he decides to affect them with the gospel message they will repent and they will believe how do I know that because God has given will give them the power and the ability and the willingness to believe but prior to that they won't believe but when God infuses them with the ability to believe and with the ability to repent and gives them the faith, they will come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You follow what I'm saying? So God is going to guarantee the salvation of those whom he has chosen. But there are those that believe and these and there are reputable scholars and theologians that believe this, that there are those also that are non-elect that can choose to believe as well. And they will also come into the kingdom if they choose to believe. Now, here's the problem I have with that. The non-elect are going to hear the gospel message, 
But if they're not given the faith to believe and if they don't repent, how they're going to how they're going to come into the kingdom. And here's the other thing. If the non-elect are going to be saved or can be saved by choosing to believe just like the elect, then aren't the non-elect also the elect? Because you have to understand something. The the elect are chosen before the foundation of the world. They were chosen before God created the universe. So if you're saying the non-elect can believe then that and, and God did not choose them before the foundation of the world, then you're saying that there, there are those that God will save because they will exercise some type of human faith to believe. And I don't see that as being biblical. All those who are going to be saved and are saved currently, ladies and gentlemen, were chosen before the foundation of the world. They're not those that are chosen after the foundation of the world to become elect. Uh later on that's not biblical either but there are those that believe that God guarantees the salvation of the elect but also there are those that are non-elect whom God has not chosen that also can believe if they choose to I have a problem with that that's the second problem I have let me review real quick before I close number one there are those that believe in an unlimited atonement and what that means is that Jesus Christ died for the sins of every single person that will ever live on this earth and what's disturbing about that is that there are those that if that's true then God the Father sent the Son to die for those who will never believe and will perish in hell in other words he shed his precious blood he was humiliated he was stripped naked and died on the cross had his um his hands pierced, his feet pierced, nailed to a cross, had a spear thrust into his side, had a crown of thorns placed on his head, was beaten, was flogged, was spit upon, was mocked, was treated worse than dirt, was, was uh, humiliated and abused more than any other person that will ever live. He did that for people who will ultimately refuse him, reject him, and die and go to hell and pay the price for their own sins when he supposedly died and paid the price for their sins as well. What 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 logic does that make? What sense does that make, uh, brothers and sisters? I don't see that as being loving at all. I mean, that's God punishing his son for an innumerable amount of people for nothing because they will never believe. So for them, the atonement for those who perish in, in hell and die and pay the penalty for their own sins, ultimately, all that was was a sentimental gesture. It was a loving idea. It was a virtual atonement because the atonement did not affect them in the way that it needed to affect them. In other words, in, for, for an innumerable amount of people, Jesus failed to save those whom he died for. He paid the price for their sins, supposedly, but apparently it wasn't enough. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, where sin abound, grace abound all the more. So for those who die in their sins after Jesus Christ died for them, grace didn't abound enough for them because sin abounded greater than the grace. And that, of course, is unbiblical. And that's hard for me to believe. And, and, and quite honestly, I don't accept that. Second problem is that I just discussed a few moments ago is that you have the elect that God has chosen before the foundation of the world, right? God is going to guarantee the salvation of his elect. 
He does not guarantee the salvation of the non-elect, but there are scholars and theologians, uh, very good ones, that believe that the non-elect can choose still to believe even though they have not been given the power to believe, they have not been granted the faith to believe, but they can still believe if they choose to believe once they hear the gospel message. So in essence, you have two types of elect people in that, in that, uh, that thought process. You have those who are elect that were chosen before the foundation of the world, and then you have those who are non-elect but become elect retroactively after the foundation of the world. And that, of course, is not biblical so I, I try to hash this whole idea out as well as I can I hope that I've made it clear I just wanted to express my heart in this regard regarding the atonement limited versus unlimited uh, elect versus non-elect this is brother Dell of gospel repentance ministries coming at you again for the year 2018 God bless you for listening I will catch you soon another episode Thank you.